everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that may not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's writing bench is Chaz Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 160. How do you pitch that in Hollywood? Wow, 160, Chess. I know. <laughs> this episode is a really fun one for me because we're going to get deep into the nitty-gritty about how to get an idea from your head all the way to the screen, and it takes a village. And today, the village we have represented is we are welcoming back Lynn Harrod. Welcome back, Lynn. Hello. How's it going? Thank you. Great. We saw, Nate, we saw Lynn in episode 159, and we'd like to introduce you all to Nate McCoy. Hello. Hi. How are you? We are fabulous. These are the two main forces behind Only Human Productions. And you guys do a little piece of everything. You have successfully pitched, worked on films, produced. You are writer, director, producers, uh, actors even, I believe, if that's correct. So you've done a little bit of everything. Lynn mentioned you two met in film school in LA. Now you're in business together. So how did that all come about? You just yeah, picked each other in class? Made sense? Literally, it was the first day in class. Uh, and this was back, what, like 2000? 2002. Yeah, March of 2002. And uh, uh, one of the people that we actually work with him uh, from time to time named Craig, he wanted to save gas, so we were going to carpool. He got some people together, and the only people that showed up for the carpool were me and Lynn, and the rest is history. <laughs> so pure dumb luck matters in every industry. That's what we're hearing too. You know, a lot of times, yeah, it's the you know, a lot of times an empire can be traced down to a simple carpool request. You know, the joint bitterness of like, do they they arranged it, and now they're going to stiff us? The nerve, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we often say in in every romance or future relationship, there's there's chemistry and timing, and mm-hmm. people underestimate timing. Like uh, maybe you were both ready, you both were in the right mood, you had the right conversations on the way. With it, and that's the thing, Lynn and I usually we have a hard time stopping a conversation. Usually, it'll start like even if we have production notes or things we have to like. Oh, can I chat with you real quick? And real quick is never quick. Usually yeah. about like an hour later, like, you know what? I got to go. I got to get this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. And then that leads to something. Oh, a final thought. And the final thought extends that conversation for 30 minutes. So it's something that <laughs> it's it's a bromance that's just blossoming every day. I, I had. Yeah, I, I knew pretty quickly within a week of meeting Nathan, I, I had a feeling that he and I uh, were going to be friends <laughs> or partners or, uh, you know, we're going to be connected for yeah. the rest of our lives, for better or worse. Nice. <laughs> um, better. <laughs> <For> better. <laughs> better. Yeah, for better and better. Come on. Yes. <laughs> you guys shared with me a bunch of materials because you have both written two series that have both managed to simultaneously get adopted at the same time. And this was a fascinating thing for me because... I'm going to project that there is many would-be aspiring screenwriters in the world that think, well, I have this great script. If I send it to somebody, they'll recognize my genius and fund it, and then, lo, I shall be called to Hollywood. <laughs> I think there's even a song Robbie Williams performed called, I Will Talk and Hollywood Will Listen. 
Nothing's farther from the truth. <laughs> I, I figured, but what I loved is you gave me two examples of, you called them, I think, your one sheets. And the two that we're going to discuss are, one is for Theorem, which, by the way, I am dying to binge, so hope it gets made as quickly as possible. And Concepcion, and I have a friend who's Filipino who is also very, very interested. I don't know if you know, but there's a whole women's hockey team called Angsarap that will be very keen to watch this as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there are legions of people who, who have been chomping at the bit for us to get this show off the ground. I, I believe it. So I want yeah. to start with talking about a one sheet and describe it for the audience that can't stare at these beautiful things. First of all, a one sheet. Who do you make? Who's your audience of a one sheet? You, uh, do you want me to do or you you want to take that? Yeah, go for it, Nathan. Go ahead. Go for this. Well, like with anything, if you meet anyone on the street, the first thing usually is your, your salutation, your handshake. And a one sheet is something... Um, you know, we were talking before we, you know, got in the air and we were kind of chatting how busy we all are doing our respective things. People in Hollywood are just like anyone else and they have numerous, uh, you know, leans on their time. And so a one sheet is a quick encapsulation of the story you're trying to pitch. There's no, you know, we all know what you're trying to do. You're trying to sell us, you know, a story. So they just want to get as quick an idea as possible. And that one sheet uh, should encapsulate the log line and basically a brief synopsis and then the very, uh, let's say, uh, artistic feel of the show right down to all the, the choice of art and color and everything. Anything you can do to put some kind of aspect of the show in that one sheet, that's what it's there for. It's just yeah, I was going to ask about that because these, the, these two examples you gave us, um, it's not just that... The you know the story is there the log line yada yada doo they're beautiful you've got imagery and and you know, clearly careful design has gone into this is that how how important is that it, it is very important uh, I mean some people will you know they can piece together some stuff but if you if you want to really you know the idea of design and you know composition of what you're trying to do you can very easily uh, draw someone's eye and attention around a page and uh, also give them some subtle hints as to overarching story and the genre and style of, of what you're trying to pitch. And I, I think it's very important. I, I think for, 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 for example, so, so, so that our readers can understand, so listeners can understand what we're talking about, uh, would it be okay to um, post these images on uh, our yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I would maybe blur out our phone numbers. I yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the I'll make a I'll make a comparison with uh with like uh novels, you know, especially like self-published writers, you know, the, one of the big pieces of advice is make sure your cover is damn good and make sure that that if you can't do it, you know, it's strongly recommended you hire a professional. The, yeah. the, the, uh, the one sheet is, is similar, even though the only people who are going to see the one sheet are people that you're pitching to. You're not, you're not releasing it or selling yeah. it to the public. Uh, it needs to be not only encapsulating uh, the story, like Nathan said, but it needs to look professional. If it looks like my you know, 12-year-old cousin made it, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're entering, you know, you're querying a, a producer with negative five points already. Yeah. It should you know. be print ready. I want to yeah. pause with that because 
Your one sheets are both beautiful and they're different. So clearly, <laughs> I mean, there's there's got to be, is it a different pitch to a di- Who are you pitching to? Who is going to receive the one sheet? Um, That's, well. Uh, it, it's different with each, usually it's producers. Okay. Uh, but, but basically it's anyone that you are, you know, as you develop a show or you're trying to get a movie off the ground, uh, you are, uh, you know, you're, you're putting people on your bus, right? right? People who are going to support mm-hmm. you either financially or, or through connections or through resources, but those people. And so, you know, because it's rare that you can give someone a script and then they read it and instantly they're, I mean, they want to see a quick little something that they can absorb in like one minute. That yeah, makes sense, but you have two different versions here, and that's one of yeah, the things. Two that different caught my styles. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, not just that. One had, for instance, in Theorem, my my next binge watchy thing. It's going to be there. You gave the arc, and it looked like this is the arc of the first season, and you kind of wrote it out. Whereas on Concepcion, it seemed to be here's the first eight episodes. Now, is that a different audience, or tell me why it was different? Oh, um, that's 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 interesting. With Concepcion, yeah. there were actually two one sheets uh, because there's two schools of thought when you make a one sheet for a series. One is describe the pilot, the first episode, and the other school of thought is uh, describe each episode of the season. And so we had we actually have one, both versions for Concepcion, but uh, the the version that summarizes all eight episodes it's a lot of text it's Mm -hmm. a lot of text and so whenever possible you want the version that like you know what you're talking about with with theorem where you know you're describing the show but not each individual episode uh and so that for conception we went through several changes for the one sheets and And the one you the one you got the simple one i'd say sometimes too like especially with theorem uh, projects don't necessarily like I'm going to make a TV show today. Like you basically, you know, you like anything, you have an idea and it starts to morph. And, and at one time theorem was thought of in my mind as uh, a film. Uh, and then I got so addicted to the characters and the story. I was like, God, I really want to expand this. And so then it was, it was expanded to be a, a show. And so uh, I think just to not overwhelm someone with all the, 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 the heaviness of the the arcs and stuff like that i wanted to keep it pretty simple because it's a it's a i think it's a hard concept for some people to grasp maybe so no i can see that and and i was wondering if they were just for different audiences for instance if you've given would you give more than one one sheet to say the first thing is you got a producer and he says okay you have my attention i'm going to take this to backers do they ever ask you for a second different layout or style? Is that a thing? Oh, a- absolutely. Uh, so well, everyone's different. Some people will simply ask you for the script and other people will ask you for uh, any kind of supplementary material. Like, for example, a pitch deck, maybe a character map. Wait, um, wait one know. second here. Pitch deck. Does that mean they have to do PowerPoint? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you mentioned that a pitch deck is like a PowerPoint, you know, in booklet form. 
Yeah. You know, uh, okay. Jeannie so, doesn't like PowerPoint. I, just I have saying. to do PowerPoints constantly for my job. So you, I was briefly had a moment of the sad, and I'm like, <laughs> you mean if I got into a creative field like this for a living, I'd still have to do PowerPoint? <laughs> yeah, you, you do. Yeah, you do. It's You can use whatever. Like, you could use, you know, Illustrator or InDesign uh, or, you know, Photoshop or whatever to do it. But it is... Like you said, you're you're taking them through not just the story at that point. The pitch deck expands the idea of the of the pitch as this is a whole project. So the story comes in. Then you've got also the introduction of possible actors you'd like, possible uh, assets or people that you already have in your team. Yeah. Like like Lynn said, that are on the bus that are backing the project. Mm -hmm. Demographics, then, locations. Yeah, yeah, all the different aspects of like you know the the mood uh you know what you're going to shoot it on you, the format that you really think it'll sing in you know like all of that's in the pitch deck one sheet's very very simple simplistic version yeah well i like it I, my thought was saying okay you have different graphics you have a look and feel i like that both of them seem to be getting the idea of all the senses i mean not quite a and listen to this trek you know this this song while you do it but i could see maybe you know there was a <laughs> well i mean to I, I guess to better to better answer the question about why why they're different or who they're for um you know when you when you approach someone ideally you you research them first and then you adjust your materials or your pitch mm -hmm. to them. So, uh, you know, based on their body of work and maybe based on speaking to them before, you might you might understand that they want a more detailed one sheet or them, you know, as opposed to a more visual one sheet. You know, there there are everyone's different. Every room you go into is a different room. So you you make changes. And I suppose you get that that's when you were talking about you give this to producers. I mean, people have talked about cronyism in the industry. And I, is that just a point of view of somebody who isn't, isn't in the industry but wants to be rather than the rest of us say, well, this is my network, right? I mean, that's, that's a real deal. I mean, like, if you think of it like, like I said before, time is a factor for everybody. But let's think of like money as uh, an extension of time. There's only a finite amount of money that everyone has in their budget every year to like make projects. And so these these people are risking quite a bit you know and I, I, when you're on the the bottom end of that and you're doing the pitching it's like why can't they just see my genius and you know on the other side of that table that person's saying am i really going to risk 20 million dollars for this tv show like i don't know this guy but i do know fred and fred's done right by me in the past i have oh, a sudden man. odd little question on funding that may only be a bit of a red herring but <laughs> Do they have different fiscal years or is there a time of year to, does one pitch in the spring? Truly, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> really, no, it's a serious that, question. It's uh, no, the, this, the, the, especially now with all of the different sources of content with streaming and so forth. Yeah. Ba back in the day when theatrical release was the main window followed by, you know, DVD, uh, yeah. it was different then, but now there's so many windows, uh, you know, the orchard is producing fruit all year round. Yeah. There, is, there is no one time of the year where this is the pitching time and this is the, you know, yeah, it can pilot, happen anytime. Pilot season. And there, pilot season, yeah. There's really no, I mean, there still is a somewhat pilot season because you're, what you're doing is you're, you know, you're, you're getting things ready and squared up for your, uh, your ad buys. So basically the, you know, the companies are 
trying to get ad dollars from whoever's going to back their show, right? You know, streaming on Peacock, you know, sponsored by Coca-Cola or whatever. So those ad buys usually happen at certain times, but that's also slowly, like it's just going away. Streamers happen all year round. Broadcast TV has windows like, you know, in the past they have their fall season, their summer season, but the streamers, they can release a new series literally any day of the year. Yeah. When, when I was a baby writer, um, and, and I was, I was a little anxious because my publishers had moved my first or second book to January. And I had heard that January was the worst month in the year to be published. Mm. Um, I mentioned this to my editor and she said, Chaz, Chaz, come here. And she sat me down and she got a piece of paper and she drew a line down the middle and she wrote down on the left all the good reasons to publish in every successive month of the year and on the right all the bad reasons to publish in that same month um and yeah i mean you know people argue about this all the time but it's it's meaningless you know the, the, there is no actual um season in creativity arbitrary yeah right yeah. And, and and you know to to add to that you know um having a sit down with someone uh, the timing of it almost is irrelevant because, you know, development, there is something called development hell yes. for uh, television and movies, yes. and that could last months, even years. years. Yep. So, you know, the, the timing of that first meeting is almost pointless in comparison to how long the entire process is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, but I had one question which came out of a particular of Theorem. Say that, uh, and again, I love it. I read the first two episodes, and you all are all going to love this show. Um, how it looked like your short story had the arc is the arc of the first season. And as you get near the end of a season, do you have to go through this whole same process again? Is it, is it similar or is it renewals? Tell us about renewals. Um, well, I mean, I so uh, I have not been in a meeting that for a for a show that we've got that's that, that's renewed in that re- regard like i've been working on shows that have been um but the process of going from a season one to season two is definitely like you still need to kind of talk about where you're going to go like hey great this is awesome it was a great first year second year is going to be even better what do you got for us like you kind of walk them through the paces but you're already a trusted source of let's say income for them um (laughs) assuming that the tv show is a popular uh thing a tasty morsel for the public and uh so in that regard they're gonna more on the lines trust you although it is still a tremendous amount of money so um i get it this is my brief pitch for those out there is there for those of you who love Charlie Strauss, and if you're listening to me, you probably love Charlie Strauss. <laughs> there is so much in common that I loved of the ideas of not, it's not the same as calculated thaumaturgy, but give everybody a little short summary of that. So they have something to look forward to on Netflix or uh, wherever, wherever. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the idea is like, let's imagine that uh, the secrets of the universe could be summed up in one theorem or one equation but that equation is so large that you know you couldn't possibly write it out and there's a let's say a certain race of people uh that know how to speak this language and those that do can actually warp reality 
and I posit the idea that many of the things that we uh, take as true, like let's say religion and our uh, pillars of society are actually based on their calculations and what they've done. Um, so it really, I really wanted to kind of shake up some of the foundations, especially nowadays too. a lot of things happening politically and socially. And it feels like, oh my God, what happened to all of our, you know, standards of, you know, society. And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe they weren't really there. Maybe these constructs need to be altered for the betterment of like, you know, something in a more humane life. And so the idea of to like shine a light in that and really delve into that was something I thought was interesting. So. Uh, the setting is somewhere between 2016 and 2020, and I think people will love all of the things they find in that. The The time fluidity was also very interesting. Mm, yeah, it's and that's tough to do. I mean, just logistically, you're going to have to do a lot of visual effects on screen, but I think it's an important part of like this, especially you need to be able to look back at human existence and human moments in time, but then... The only way to do that is actually have some kind of time travel that you can see in the present and experience it as a viewer. And I, it's, it was, that was really tough to write actually. <laughs> exactly. And, and Lynn on the Concepcion, uh, it's Filipino gangsters set in starts in 1992 and then fast forwards to 2020. I got to say it had a very Godfather vibe, more mm -hmm. like the book than the movie. And I want you to know that I think that's a compliment because <laughs> oh, well, I really loved the book, but it, it helps introduce a new world. They're not, you know, Central American cartels or Italian mobsters. It's, it's Filipino and family is still important, but there's a new flavor that you introduce to it. Also, I need you to know that Carmen is absolutely correct and people do want espresso and LA is just a little bit slower than the rest of the world in realizing the importance of espresso. You know, I, I'm glad. Finally, someone sees her logic. I'm she's, she's, I, she's so correct. And I love Emily going into politics too. So tell everybody a little bit about Concepcion. Uh, well, Concepcion was actually uh, the idea of uh, Craig Obligation Wilson. He's an old buddy of ours. Nathan mentioned him earlier. He's the third uh, carpool participant back right. in 2002. Uh, so Craig, like myself, he's half Filipino. And uh, we went to school together. and We bonded pretty quickly. We have a lot in common. And, uh, you know, years after I, I, I was in Hollywood for about seven, eight years, and then I life intervened. We had a new baby and health issues. And so I had to leave Hollywood for a while. Craig brought me back. He he was uh, he came up with a short film called Lolo Pepe, and it was like the seed for what would become Concepcion. It was just a few characters, one scene, uh, and he asked me to develop it as a movie. And so I began uh, creating dozens of characters and places and settings and backstories, and uh, we kind of like what Nathan was saying about theorem, it felt like a series. Yeah. And so we began shopping it as a series. And, uh, and yeah, it is uh, the, the core, the seed of it was loosely based on Craig's real life grandfather, who uh, really was a, a gangster in the Philippines. And he, he hid in, in LA for a while. Uh, in in the historic Filipino town, which is a, a neighborhood in LA, um, and yeah, it just it just uh, bloomed from there. Uh, and like and kind of like theorem, 
uh, it jumps around the timeline quite a bit. In fact, the movie, the, the show is split between 1992, when our characters are young, uh, on the eve of the Rodney King riots, and 2020, when the characters are much older and their lives have drastically changed, and, and it's, it's during the beginning of COVID and the anti-Asian hate and the George Floyd protests. Uh, and it's an examination of how, how history has shaped those characters and that neighborhood and the Filipino-American experience in general. I, I think it's going to be interesting. And like I said, because this is a new type of royalty of such, I think there's a hunger for that because people like to see themselves on TV and in screens. And this is a, especially in California, there is a very large Filipino organization there. Yeah, I went and yeah. paddled out rigger canoes and they seem to be half Filipino and half Hawaiian there. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, it, it is a, it, it is a new, I mean, I'm a big fan of, crime stories and organized crime kind of like Scorsese, like that seems to be in his, in his wheelhouse. And that seems to be in mine, but the Filipino American criminal, what attracted me to it when Craig brought the idea to me was that uh, it is a unique uh, lens that's really steeped in culture and tradition more so than other uh, American mafias. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's very, very uh, tradition based. And so it's a unique way of looking at it. And what we like to say is that, you know, it's, it's, it's made, it, it consists of Filipinos. It's made by Filipinos, but like it just, honestly, it's, it's, it's a universal story. It's a crime story. It's about family. It's about trust and betrayal. And uh, I, it so far from we've gotten, you know, a lot of uh, great feedback from, of course, the Filipino community in LA, but, mm -hmm. uh, but everyone that we've met, they seem to like the angle that it takes yeah. the unique look at it, you know. All right. On your website, you also have a comedy, the paranormal activity security squad. Oh, no. You might need to tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> oh, no. That, that's all Nathan there. That's, uh, yeah. Um, that was, uh, so I, you, okay. Well, um, gosh, wow. I didn't expect you to ask that. Um, so anyway, as you I, go through your journey in Hollywood, and I, sh I probably should someday write a copy book, uh, like do a little copy book thing. I have uh, invariably bumped into many famous people. And more often than not, those bump ins are just horrible moments. Like I just am totally embarrassed about by them. Um, but uh, that particular one was one of those things that was like not so bad. Um, so I met uh, this guy named Alex uh, Wraith, Alexander Wraith, and I'm still uh, friends with him, actually. Um, he just did. He was one of the leads on the show Naomi, which was of the DC Universe. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get picked up for season two, but uh, he's, I, he's I think really I missed that one. And now I'm sad. I'll have to go look. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, not to. OK, well, I shouldn't. It was not my cup of tea. We'll say that. But. I, I watched because Alex was involved. And as it went on, I started to gravitate some, to some of the characters. And I think if they had gotten another season or two, I think it probably would have bloomed. Uh, from what I understand, they just didn't have uh, a very big budget. Um, but uh, Ava DuVernay, you know, was working with what she had. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, at the time, Alex was dating Jean-Claude Van Damme's daughter, and I wondered they, about that name. Yeah. I saw Van Damme in there and I was wondering. <laughs> and uh, the other person that was involved in that was Sean Stone, which is Oliver Stone's son. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so they they wanted to do this kind of campy, uh, ridiculous comedy. Um, and it was it was crazy. And so they came with this bunch of this footage. And I, at the time, I had kind of been really re-educating myself to become a digital asset. So I, you know, I was like, I don't want to just be a writer and an actor and other stuff. I want to like know how to do visual effects. So I kind we're, of, we're always learning new. Things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really delved deep into that and I just happened to bump into them and they needed some help. And I, that's how our relationship started. And I did with another gentleman, uh, we did all the visual effects for that movie and I started to do them really well. And he's like, no, 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 make them, make them bad. And I'm like, what? He goes, that's part of the comedy. I want it to look yeah, bad. Like, really? Do Okay. So um, it is a, it is a ridiculous, uh, just farcical, crazy ride. And I do mean <laughs> mind bendingly crazy. That's, uh, and that's again, paranormal activity security squad. I'll be putting a link because now I am dying of curiosity here. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's, it's 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 crazy. I mean, there's a I think there was some French uh I think he was a French uh teacher or um at I forget which college, but he thought of it as just like a, this uh amazingly carnal look at human nature and you know, and it's whole he's like this is just such a you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh Dolly uh so Salvador Dali-esque kind of like look at <laughs> <laughs> human uh surrealism i think yeah, yeah, yes. whole yeah. crazy jump down surrealistic hole and <laughs> it's i don't know i don't know if i'm proud of it or if i'm scared of it but it, it exists it, and it would have fit in great if it had been released in 1965 yeah in a in a in a downtown theater you know just <laughs> it would have it, it would have fit into that aesthetic it's just an experience movie it's very yeah, you, you gotta. Yeah, you gotta go into it expecting, you know, it 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 could cause a couple of regurgitations. Uh, <laughs> that's a little buzz. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, we, we're we're gonna have a session. We're gonna watch. Okay, <laughs> and we will put links to all of these interesting things, including your gentleman's uh, home website, if you don't mind, on our. Yeah. On our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. Nate and Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having us, Chaz. Thanks, thanks, Jeannie. This yeah, thanks, been, thanks for having us. How to pitch things is cool. And what you've taught us is that you can't be, I, I just learned that don't be that recluse. You don't get to be the reclusive writer in the garret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help. And uh, it sounds like the secret of success is networking. Yes, actually. Um, Working I, hard I, and being kind to people. And yeah, yeah that's that's um, what it comes down to. I can only imagine how important kindness is important in every industry. And given everything we hear about Hollywood, I bet it really stands out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a delight. It's a it's a it's a shock and delight to, to meet someone genuinely pleasant and kind to you. And oh, yeah. I mean, and I'd say the people like in the upper echelons, like they're they're pretty much all class acts for the most part. Like, I, I mean, like usually it's lower on the rung for some reason. People that want to they want to be up a couple rungs higher. They start treating people badly. But people that are that are making it like the A-listers, they are genuinely nice folks. You know? <laughs> yeah, I have to say that in, in, in the publishing industry, almost everybody is lovely. Yeah, um, but it's a very different world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, thank you both again. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you so thank much, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spiders are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene, Arm Street, and this week's honorable mention to Katana Sushi, without whom I would be desolate. <laughs> and hey, thanks for listening. Thank you.